0: welcome to the u-turn podcast this is the place to connect to who you truly are we're bringing phds experts and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world i'm ashley Stahl. i'm a career expert author and tedx speech writer and booker and i'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode Okay, friends, I have a treat for you today. It is the fiery and very fun Hala Taha. She is dubbed the podcast princess, and she's the host of Young and Profiting Podcast, frequently ranked as the top business and entrepreneurship podcast across all apps. She's the founder and CEO of Yap Media, a business podcast network with an award-winning social media and podcast marketing agency for top podcasters. I'm actually one of her clients celebrities and CEOs, and she's really well-known for her engaged following and her influence on LinkedIn. So the Young and Profiting podcast, which I was just on it, and it is so juicy. It's a top 100 podcast globally, and she's interviewed all sorts of guests like Matthew McConaughey, Deepak Chopra, Damon John, who we know endorsed my book, so many others, and uh, her show was recognized as a 2022 Webby Honoree, and she's been featured in publications like Entrepreneur, Founder, New York Times, all of those things. She knows a lot about networking, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, side hustles, podcasting. I want to ask her today about LinkedIn because I feel like all of us could be leveraging it so much more, me included, and I know you're the queen of that.
1: So, Hala, thank you so much for coming on the show. Ashley, you are such a boss, babe. You impress me every time I speak. Even this intro, I'm like impressed. (laughs) You're just such a natural. So thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. I literally I'm looking at you right now. And those of you who are just listening, Hala looks like such a queen. She's like all together for her day. She has back to back interviews. I just got out of the shower, like (laughs) crawled out of the gym. And, you know, I'm in my day. I have a, I have a presentation to a mastermind after, after this in about 15 minutes to make myself look like a human. I have so much respect for the way, like I was saying to you before we hit record that you put yourself together and the energy you have. So before I even ask you about LinkedIn, like what got you here, where you are Mm. in your business and your podcast and why, why do you think you have so much energy? Like, how do you do it? I want it. Give me what you're having.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. What got me to where I am today? So it was definitely not an overnight success. I think it was about a decade of hard work and getting the skills and the experience and becoming an expert. So I'll give you the really fast story because I know there's probably lots of yeah. things with LinkedIn and strategy that we want to dig in. But basically, I started my career in, uh, you know, I, I was an entrepreneur since I was a young girl. So I was always working. Even since, since I was 13 years old and before that, when I wasn't legally allowed to work, I'd be selling everything, selling lemonade, hot chocolate, slushies, bracelets, artwork. Like I used to just sell everything when I was a kid. Then fast forward to college, uh, my first real job, other than like I had many retail jobs I worked in every store you could imagine. I got a job at a, a radio station. And at the time I wanted to be a singer. I've always been a really great singer. And my idea, I was in the radio club. I wanted to push my music on the radio. So I got a job at Hot 97 in the program department. And I worked for this guy, Ebro, who's really famous. And I did a really good job. And they promoted me to be Angie Martinez's assistant in the studio area. And at that point, they wanted me to work basically full time as an intern, free intern. And I quit my uh, college career and I dropped out of school. And I was a Free intern at a radio station for three years, where I would just learn how to audio edit. I learned how to do social media. I learned how to blog. I would do the commercials. I was like the intern on air on the number one show in America, the Angie Martinez show. It's like top hip hop and R and B station. I would run the boards at night. I would host showcase tickets at night to make money. And meanwhile, I was like the black sheep of my family because everybody's a doctor. My dad was a surgeon. All my siblings are doctors. Nobody even had a job before college and like their residency. And I had like 20 jobs before college. And so I was like, just so different from everyone else. And so I just really loved radio and it made me realize like, Hey, maybe being a singer is not for me. I'm not like a good dancer, like Beyonce. And like, I probably could make it more as a personality. So then I started having online radio shows on the side. So I had all these music shows where I would interview artists and talk about their love life. And they were like really fun shows At the time, this was like the pre-podcast existed, but they were really hard to do. And I was sort of on some podcasts. We would take these online radio shows and publish them in Apple, but it wasn't like a thing yet. And so I had all these little online radio shows, about five or six of them in my 20s. Then I left hot 97 i asked for a paying job they basically fired me from a job i wasn't getting paid for because i I was like a flight risk so they weren't supposed to have this free intern i kind of like rose a flag like can you pay me minimum wage they got upset at me because i should have just paid my dues in their opinion and they fired me Mm -hmm. so then i was like blackballed from the radio industry all my mentors all this stuff And I was devastated because I had dropped out of school, abandoned my parents. I was living on my brother's couch. Like I was just like really in a bad situation. So I started this blog called The Sorority of Hip Hop, where I was going to recruit all these girls from the industry that weren't getting opportunities. And, you know, I knew how to build blog sites. I figured out how to build a a website. And I recruited 14 girls in two weeks off Craigslist and Twitter. Oh my God. And I created this thing called the sorority of hip hop. And then I went back to college. Uh and then it's so <laughs> like, it like ridiculous. <laughs> so within three months, we were one of the most popular hip-hop and RB websites in the world. I figured out how to hack Twitter, where basically all these girls had some sort of a Twitter presence. And I connected our blog site to Twitter where every time we'd put out a blog, it would like, at Drake, new song, at Wiz Khalifa, new song, blah, blah, blah. And I was the first blog site to do that with the at handles on Twitter. And so all these celebrities would see like 15 pretty girls tweeting out their, like their name. They would retweet one of us. And so we started going viral. So MTV, three months into it, reached out to me. I was in college. I had this like small, like there was about like Eventually, there was 150 girls in and out of this sorority of hip-hop. So, like, at all times, I had about, like, 50 girls in it. And they were all, (laughs) like, college girls, young girls who wanted to learn how to blog. They worked for free for me. MTV reached out to us. And they wanted us to shoot a pilot because they saw all our noise on Twitter. Nothing happened. But I was like, okay, it's three months in. What's going to happen next, right? Then – All the DJs at Hot 97, which was like this big radio station that I worked for, if if you're from New York, you know this station. They started reaching out to me and Angie Martinez started reaching out to me and like apologizing Mm. because I started like becoming more relevant and like sort of had done it on my own. So I went from intern to peer and they started hiring me to host their parties. So then I started getting paid to host events, parties. With this sorority of hip-hop, two years later, we kept blogging. We had online radio shows, all these kind of things. MTV reached out to us again. And this time, like, we signed paperwork. I was the lead. They picked five other girls. This was right after Jersey Shore. They filmed us all summer. They got us a studio on Broadway. They must have invested at least $250,000 into this summer-long pilot. At least. They filmed me at my house, in restaurants, all these things. I thought I was going to be the next Snooki so to speak. I really thought I was going to be famous. I thought I'd finally made it. I basically had been working for free for five years. I was having all these like odd jobs. I was getting money for events, but I had 50 mouths to feed. So like there was no money to go around. Plus it was expensive for the servers for the blog because it was a popular blog. So I wasn't making any money. And, um, I was very excited about the potential of making like six grand an episode with MTV. Like, you know what I mean? Like that was like a lot of money for me. Two weeks before it was supposed to air, my producer calls me and she's like, Hala, I'm so sorry. We're moving in another direction. And uh, we actually shot two shows this summer and we're going to go with the other show. And I'm like, what? They had never told me there was a possibility that it wasn't going to air. They were like, Hala, it's a shoe and blah, blah, blah. Like I froze my life the entire summer to do this. Went against my parents who didn't want me to do all this stuff. So I was devastated. And at that point, I was like, forget it. I'm never going to be famous. Forget this broadcasting stuff. I'm going to be normal. I got my MBA. Uh, I actually cared about school this time around. I got a 4.0, graduated number 1 in my class. Before I had like a 2.3 GPA cuz look I what happens when Halla cares. <laughs> yeah. I had the worst GPA in my undergrad and then and then I did well. So I went to M- I got my MBA and then that was the first time I had a normal job and I got a job at HP as an MBA intern. Then I got promoted a lot and basically was an entrepreneur within the organization. 4 years into working at HP in corporate That's when I had the idea of starting Young and Profiting Podcasts. And then that's what really triggered where I am today. I did that as a side hustle for two years. And I started my social agency. Then I started my podcast network. So it was a long time coming. And I got rejected from terrestrial radio. I almost had a show on SiriusXM. I didn't talk about that story. I always had a show on MTV. So I got rejected by TV TV terrestrial radio, satellite radio. And I didn't make it until I decided to start my own podcast because the technology was available in 2018.
0: I love what you're sharing because it's like, it's painting such a real picture. I kind of feel like this with dating. Sometimes I look at couples. I'm like, Oh my God, look how happy they are. Like Mm. it's gotta be easy to find like the most epic love ever. But then when you like lift up the sheets, you're like, no, no, everybody has stuff. Couples have stuff. Business owners have stuff and you've had these ups and downs, what do you think it was about your podcast that like really moved the needle for you? And I feel like you're not the type, like a lot of my friends, and you're not one of them that would say this, they have top 100 shows and, you know, million downloads a month, whatever. And I'll be like, Hey, why are you, what do you think you're doing that is making it do that? And they're like, nothing. It's just like all organic. And whenever I ask you, like, what are you doing to grow your show? You're like, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. These are the ways. You really um, put the work in. And there's Mm -hmm. no no negative on my end about magically getting organic magicalness. But the fact that you sweat for it and you fought for it, I think is very real. And for me, Mm -hmm. I've had so many different failures. And I don't know, like, how did you mentally – Jump back in when you were failing, like because I think a lot of people listening they try, they fail super hard, and they're like, "This is it!" Like after that MTV moment, yeah. It's like Winston Churchill he says, "When you're in hell, keep walking, or when you're walking through hell, keep walking." People don't keep walking; you kept walking. So, what kept you going?
1: Well, actually, for four years, I literally thought I would never get back on a mic, and I totally let go of my dreams, and I just focused all in on corporate. I thought, hey. I obviously I had 50 girls who wanted to create a living off my back in the sorority of hip hop. We all thought we were going to be like famous with this thing that we were doing. Right. And then once that MTV thing failed, I was like, guys, I got to focus on myself. Like, I need to figure out my own thing. Like, my parents aren't proud of me. Like, I need to figure out my own life. And I was like, I guess I have to be normal now and just get a normal job and be normal. And so I got this job at HP and I started my MBA and I did really well in corporate. I thought I was going to be so behind. Like I'm starting corporate 27 years old. It's really late. I thought I was going to be so behind, but I was jumping over everyone in corporate because I was so much more tech savvy. I had such an entrepreneurship mindset. I was so like hardworking and driven that I stuck out as a sore thumb. I became the face of the, literally the face of the young employees at HP. I was president of the Young Employee Network. I was like this like big personality interviewing the CEO and the CMO at all the town halls. I became this like personality at HP and literally was doing the same stuff, but in a corporate lens. But I had let go of, like, wanting my own brand, wanting to be famous, all these things. I just thought, like, well, I'll just be the CMO of a Fortune 500 company. Like, that's cool, too. And Mm -hmm. I sort of set my sights on that. And it wasn't until four years into HP, I literally got bored. I was like, I'm so bored. Like, I want to, like, do something else. And I started my podcast with really pure intentions. I was like, I was a failed entrepreneur. Now I'm really successful in corporate I feel like LinkedIn is a platform I can pretty much hack. Why don't I just try to build my personal brand on LinkedIn, start this podcast? And instead of being the face of just the young employees at Hewlett Packard, let me be like the face of young professionals. And like, let me just try to see if I can create this hobby. And I literally truly believed that it was impossible to monetize my podcast Mm -hmm. and that it was just a hobby and that I was going to have a corporate career. And this podcast on the side just to sort of like subdue my creative needs. Mm. And I really thought it was just going to be a hobby.
0: Wow. I love this so much. And you're crushing it so hard. Okay. LinkedIn. I feel like people listening right now, LinkedIn can feel like a fucking like appendix. It's like it exists. It's another social media place. We need to have our name on it but there's not like a lot of intention necessarily around it. Some people might use it to network, send messages, in my career clarity programs we actually use LinkedIn's advanced search for clarity. We help people figure out what is your skill set? How do you figure out words for your skill set? How do you mm. do an advanced search and discover profiles of people that align with your skill set? Um so for me, LinkedIn is just a power tool on so many levels, but I want to talk to the person who's listening that maybe hasn't necessarily seen their LinkedIn as like a power resource for them. Maybe they want to start a side hustle. Let's say they want to start a coaching business. They want to get clients on LinkedIn and they're an executive listening right now. And they're like, you know, I'm a vice president of marketing and I actually want to do life coaching on the side. And, you know, I think that I want to do it for executives and they're all on LinkedIn. Like, Where does somebody begin in the process of starting to, like, really polish off their LinkedIn
1: profile? This is a really great question. Uh, First, I'm going to back up and tell you why you need to be on LinkedIn out of all the other platforms. So first of all, LinkedIn is a platform that brands itself as a professional platform. It also competes with platforms like Indeed and ZipRecruiter, and it helps people get jobs, right? Right. People use LinkedIn as research in their buying journey. When people are thinking about what they want to buy, oftentimes they're looking up their sales rep on LinkedIn. They're looking up the company on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is basically like used as a tool in the buying journey. So what this means is that people on LinkedIn are actually prepped for sales conversations, right? The other thing to note is it's one of the biggest platforms in the world. There's over 135 million daily active users. People are using it to look at content, to absorb content, to educate themselves. And these people are typically college educated and they're typically making at least $75,000 a year. So compared to other platforms like Instagram and TikTok, they're making a lot more money and people are a little bit older. Instead of like, you know, being 18 years old, it's like they start at 25. So it's like, these are people that can actually, you know, make buying decisions, make sales. So it's like the right audience for most people who are coaches, entrepreneurs, selling B2B, selling B2C. Their customers are on LinkedIn. So that's number one. That's definitely number one. In terms of your question of like, what are the first things that we should do? uh, One of the things that you need to do is really get clear on your voice and your brand. And so I have a LinkedIn masterclass and like half of day one is all about getting clarity on your brand. And -hmm. so that means coming up with your values. What do you stand for? Especially when things go wrong. How do you make your decisions, right? We talked about values on our podcast. Mm -hmm. Um your personality type? What's the thing that differentiates you from your competition? What is your tone of voice? How are you going to actually mirror your audience so that you can relate to them? Because when you're thinking about your own personal brand, really, you want to think about mirroring your audience. It's it's only a little bit about you, but mostly about them so that they feel like you're like them, they can relate to you, then then they'll engage with you. You also need to think about the impact or the transformations you want to make with your audience. How are you going to change your audience mindset? What are the feelings you're going to bring about with your content? And you want to think about your four or five messages that you're going to repeat over and over and over again in your communication. So for me, it's like you're never too old to learn something new. Life is limitless. You know, you can accomplish anything you do as long as you do hard work, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got key messages that I'll repeat over and over and over again. And now that is what I stand for. Then you need to think about your delivery method. How are you going to deliver that impact? Once you figure all of that out, things become easy. You can easily create your personal branding statement, which can be the title of your profile. You can easily understand the relationship with your audience. So you understand the way that you communicate. So are you a coach or a mentor? Are you a hype man and a cheerleader? Are you a reporter or a coordinator where you're sort of like reporting out on the news? So you need to figure out like what your relationship is with your audience and what you communicate. Then you can start working on your content strategy. So there's like a lot of pre-work when it comes to branding, because branding is consistency. And if you want to become an old friend, which is the point of branding to become an old friend that people don't have never even met in real life, that's what a brand is. And to do that, you need to sort of step back and decide what you want to represent and how you want to be perceived. So that's super important and really step one. Okay.
0: So I love this because there's so much there around getting clear on your brand. So you said your personal brand statement on your LinkedIn. Can you give us some examples of what that looks like for someone who might be starting to think about that? Like, I don't know. I I feel like I have so many sound bites, right? Like don't do what you love, do what you are. Clarity comes from engagement. doesn't come from thinking. I have so many different things that I say that are like power bubbles that I try to pop out there. Um, and I feel like as I write all these Ted talks, that's my role sometimes for people is to help them find those like messages inside of them. Um, I think some people listening are going to feel like, I don't know if I have a message, like I'm really good at it. You know, I'm a really good executive and I want to coach other executives to be an executive, but they don't necessarily have like an ethos or like a personal brand statement. So how can we get people to start thinking about it? What examples do you have for people listening?
1: Yeah, this is such a great question. And listen, everybody has their messages. Your messages are the impact you want to make with your audience, the transformation you want to make with your audience, the feelings you want them to get from reading your content. How are they going to change? Cuz if you have nothing that you're going to present out there that that like in terms of like wanting to change people or improve their lives, then really what's the point of starting your brand, right? So you need to think about what is the impact, what is the transformation you want to make? And then uh, your personal branding statement, once you figure out your values, your personality, your audience profile, your messages, your delivery, your personal branding statement can literally be like plug and play. So in my masterclass, for example, I give everyone formulas. Mm. So you would use like your audience, your your main message. Like basically you take your audience, what you do, your delivery impact. So um for young and profiting podcasts, I interview the brightest minds in the world on Young and Profiting Podcasts so that you can listen, learn, and profit. So like what is the transformation? lesson, learn and profit, right? Yeah. Who's my audience? Young and Profiting Podcast, It's it says it in the name. So I don't have to be super specific, right? Right. Then the tagline you would create in a more creative way. So it might just be like, for me, it's listen, learn, profit, right? So it's mm. like taking your personal branding statement and then turning it into something more marketing that doesn't need keywords. Mm. When you're thinking about your personal branding statement, you want to say who your audience is, how you want to help them. And what is the delivery method? Is it through a book? Is it through a podcast? Is it through coaching calls, right? So there's a million ways to develop your personal branding statement, but first you need clarity on those things that I mentioned, your values, your audience profile, your personality type, your messages, your delivery method, then you can create your personal branding statement by just plugging in those things until you figure out something that's working for you. So I didn't do a good job of giving you guys a clear example.
0: No, but you did. You came around to it. And also it's interesting because young and profiting is pretty straightforward. So it's almost like your audience is implied. They're young and they want to be profiting. Exactly. Which is another tip in itself. Like some of us might need to create brands that are this clear, you know? Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Okay, so let's say somebody's thinking about like, well, who's my audience? Whether they're in corporate or they're wanting to start a side hustle and they're wanting to lead with that. They think about their personal brand statement. They put it, where do they put that? In their bio, in their graphic? Like what are the next steps on actual LinkedIn? And how do we get them from all of these clarifying things, which I want to ask you more about to like, We're going to turn this into clients.
1: Yeah. Okay. Great, great point. So in terms of your personal branding statement, this is like a one to two sentence line that you can put at the start of your bio. This is how you would introduce yourself at like a networking event. You can use this one to two sentence line in so many different places. You can also use a version of it for your title. And you can put your tagline, which is like the distilled, more marketing-centric version of your personal branding statement to be shorter and more punchy you put that in your banner on LinkedIn so like there's all this real estate on your LinkedIn profile whereas other platforms like Instagram or TikTok you just have like a little bio on on LinkedIn you have a whole page of real estate. So you want to leverage your banner. You want to leverage your LinkedIn bio, which is like your link basically that you can link out to an external party. Your title is really important. Again, you want to put who you serve, what you do, what is the way that you do it. You want to be super clear in your title, right? So that's step number one, optimizing your profile. Make sure you have a good thumbnail picture as well, right? Your actual profile picture, make sure you have a picture. A good tip is a uh, head tilt, eyebrow flash, and a smile. Those are all the friend signals. So that's what you want to put in your profile picture. You want to make sure that like you've got good contrast and everything like this. So that's actually really important. So you optimize your profile. There's two other things that you need to think about on LinkedIn. Number one, feed performance. Number two, DM and invite strategy very different from other platforms. All this stuff works together on LinkedIn. So on your feed, really, you want to prioritize shareable content. Um, Now, everybody is on a spectrum in terms of what they're trying to accomplish on LinkedIn. You've got people who want to attract a broad audience, meaning you don't care the age, the nationality, the location of everyone, the titles. You want a broad audience because you are basically trying to get people to buy something low ticket that's relevant to a lot of people. Or you want a niche audience that is going to buy something high ticket and you have specific titles and you don't care about growing your profile super large. You just want to grow it with the right target clients so that you're always talking to your potential customers. Everybody has different initiatives. On the feed. If you want to be more of this viral influencer that attracts a broad audience with something low ticket, you want to focus on motivational, inspirational content because that is the most shareable content. Uh, It's human behavior. Everybody wants to be positive. People are more likely to share that kind of stuff. And so you want to have positive, you know, quotes, uh, stories with an image That really triggers people's opinions or uh, triggers controversy and gets people talking, but really shares, right? Shares are the most viral action on LinkedIn. If you are more of the niche looking for something high ticket and you want to grow your following slow and steady and attract a certain audience, you're going to go for educational content. That is the second most shareable type of content on LinkedIn. And basically what you want to do is infuse that educational content with keywords that you think would be found in your client's profiles because LinkedIn will actually match that up. So let's say you talk about real estate. If you put real estate keywords in your post and LinkedIn finds other people in your network who have those real estate keywords in your first connections, they're gonna show that content to them because they're gonna believe that it's gonna be super relevant to them. Especially if you have real estate keywords on your profile and you're ranked for skills in real estate, they're gonna wanna feed your expert content to people on LinkedIn to provide relevant content. That is actually a big trend happening on LinkedIn. So you wanna be super meaningful, provide educational, valuable content on your feed. Uh, and LinkedIn will basically match it up. Now, something else very interesting on LinkedIn is that your invite and DM strategy directly impacts how viral you go on the feed. So if you proactively invite somebody to your network who would be your potential client, they are more likely to see your content at the top of their feed for the next two weeks if they accept your invite. If you DM somebody, who is your potential target client, and they DM you back, they're going to see your content at the top of their feed for the next two weeks. If somebody likes comments or shares your stuff, they're again going to see your stuff at the top of their feed for two weeks. So your invite and DM strategy actually directly supports you going viral in the feed. And so it's very important to do both. And these are the types of things that I teach in my masterclass. And Ashley, I'm actually happy to give you a discount code for your listeners if you'd yes, like it. Yes,
0: please. Let's do that. I would love that. Give, And we'll put it in the show notes too for everyone. And
1: you can get an affiliate for anybody that you sign up to. So it's like, I'd love to reward you. So you can use code Ashley. For 30% off, and you can go to yapmedia.io slash course. So it's a two-day workshop, and it's absolutely amazing. I go through everything you need to know to crush it and dominate on LinkedIn, from growing your personal brand, to copywriting, to graphic design, to leads and sales, and DM strategy.
0: Okay. This is so fun. Um, Okay. So DM strategy. I feel like we live in a world where every time I turn around, there's like a bot feeling DM that people Mm. are getting where it's like and it goes into the filtered other folder um how do we how do we approach the mindset of dms and not feel sticky
1: that we're just like another spammy little message for someone in their inbox i love this question and i talk a lot about it in my class and i have to say that like 99.99% of my DMs are accepted with a thank you and really appreciate it. Like everybody loves getting my DMs. And yeah. that's because I always make sure that there's common ground and relevancy. So we talk about the law of likability on in my masterclass. And essentially there's a couple things you need to think about. People love to be asked for getting advice. People love compliments. People like people who are like them. So common ground, right? People also uh, like to be approached if they took the first action. So there's lots of different, I'm saying a lot of different things and I'll give you a lot of examples. So people love to get compliments. So one of the, one of the things you can do is, uh, look at people who are in your niche. So let's say it's me and I'm actually reaching out to somebody about my LinkedIn masterclass. Hey, you look like somebody who's crushing it in the social media world. I highly respect everything that you're doing. And I would love to invite you to my free webinar coming up this Saturday. Uh, I think you would get a lot of value out of it. So I'm giving them a compliment. I'm saying that I've done my research. We've got common ground. We're both women in the social media space trying to crush it. I think you may like So I never, ever say anything in the DMs that is going to have somebody be able to prove me wrong because people love to prove other people wrong. So if I said, I know you're going to like my webinar on Saturday that's free coming up, people would be like, who are you to tell me that I like this or don't like this? If I say, if I say, I think you may be interested, they'd be like, yeah, it sounds great. Right. So it's like, you've got to think about these little nuances. Right. So giving them something of value giving them a compliment, establishing common ground. So these are all tactics that you can use. Also not being very direct, being indirect and suggesting they may want to do something or may like to do something is really important. Now, another thing that you can do is you can reach out to people based on their behaviors and having them take the first action. So for example, I put up a post about my masterclass on my LinkedIn I've got an upcoming masterclass, blah, blah, blah. Just like, it's like, I give a educational, usually what I'll do is I'll give an actual tip. Like, here's how you use hashtags. And if you want to learn more, check out my masterclass, I go over XYZ. Anybody who likes and comments on that post is raising their hand and saying, you have permission to message me because I took the first action. So anybody who likes and comments on that post, we then retarget in the DMs. Hey, I noticed you uh, engaged on my LinkedIn masterclass post. I'd love to invite you to my free webinar so you can check out what it's like. I think you may be interested in this. Uh, here's the link. Would love for you to register. And then, you know, if they don't respond, follow up. Hey, just making sure you saw this message. Let me know if you're able to sign up. If you, want any, if you have any questions, let me know. Most people are usually like, thank you so much. This is so awesome. Like, really appreciate it, right? Because mm-hmm. they took the first action. Now, you can use these behavior and these behavior triggers in many different ways. People who are commenting, uh, liking and commenting on posts with certain hashtags. Hey, I noticed you like this post with the AI hashtag. I have a free PDF on how to leverage AI. Like, whatever it is. Hey, I noticed you engaged on Gary V's posts. If you like his content and podcasts, you're going to like mine too. So you can use these behavioral triggers on LinkedIn. I notice you're in the same group as me. I've got something relevant for this. Anybody who's in this group, I noticed you're registered to the same event as me. Hmm. I've got something, you know, related to this event that you want to learn about. It seems like you may be interested. So that's one tactic. Um, another tactic is asking people for advice. Hey, I noticed that you talked about i Z. I'd love what you think about this. Now this works, especially if they're not famous. If you're reaching out to somebody like me who gets too many inbound leads every day, I don't have time to answer your question or give you advice. But if you're reaching out to like some executive and you're like, hey, I'm new to the production industry. I'd love to learn more about like how you started in your career. They're most likely gonna wanna talk to you because people love to give advice. They love to help other people and love to feel important. So that's how you can sort of start a conversation. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so much here. Here's where I think um, people are probably going is, okay, there are so many people on LinkedIn potential clients for me or for you or for whoever. Um, how do I get all these DMS out? Like I can hear somebody being like, that's a lot of work, which it is. Success is is a lot of work. Um, how do you hack that? How do you optimize that? How do you systemize that so that we're not being inauthentic? We're not turning all these things into a number, you know, but we're I don't know, like being effective, creating a consistent flow of leads for our businesses or for our side hustles,
1: yeah. So there's a couple different tactics that I'm going to go over that are really, really helpful. Um and something that you need to realize or everybody who's listening needs to realize is that there's a lot of inactive people on LinkedIn. They go on LinkedIn. They get a job. they never log back on. Now, this used to be a way bigger problem. LinkedIn recently has removed all the bot profiles, all the dead profiles. So now we're in a really unique position where in the past when you would DM someone, there was a high probability that they don't even log on to the platform unless you were really smart like me and knew how to find people who are active on the platform. Now that's no longer such a problem, which is presents a huge opportunity for everyone. Okay? Um, so basically, there's ways that you can do this really, really fast. Um, I'm able to send, I'm the CEO of a huge company. Well, it's not huge, but it's a fairly multi-million dollar company, right? And I, when I need to, am shooting DMs. And I can do 150 DMs in 15 minutes. Wow. And I'm not like, this is not my profession. You know what I mean? Like, I just like, if I need to get scrappy, roll up my sleeves and shoot DMs for a campaign, I'm doing it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so one of the ways that I'm able to do 150 DMs in 15 minutes is through groups and events. Mm -hmm. So events are always the first priority. Mm -hmm. On LinkedIn, you can only DM your first connections. When somebody registers for an event, that is a very skillful thing to do on LinkedIn. It means they're active on LinkedIn. They know how to use the platform. They recently logged on to register for this upcoming event. And it tells you exactly what they're interested in. So if if I'm trying to target my masterclass, I'm looking up social media events on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And then I register for all those events. When I register for those events, I now can DM anyone who's registered to that event, either connect with an invite or message them. And so I have a copy and paste message that's under 300 characters long with the URL that I want them to click. And I'm basically just copying and pasting messages to reach that 150 messages per 15 minutes. Now, You can customize this by first name. But if you want to be faster, you want to think of something to make it feel relevant and point in time that is not something you have to customize over and over again. So an example would be, happy Monday. I'd love to invite you to this event. Hope you're having a good night. If you're DMing at night, hope you're having a wonderful morning. Now you don't have to say, hi, Brad, X, Y, Z. Hi, Greg, X, Y, Z. Because you're giving something that shows like, hey, I'm a real person. This is a point in time message, right? Mm -hmm. And you just DM people uh, in those groups. And mm. like I have mentioned, you get access to a lot of people you can DM that are not your first connections. Now, what's even faster is groups because everybody in the group that if you get accepted into the group, you're allowed to DM everyone in the group, even if you're not a first connection. Mm. So typically you can only DM your first connections. I just want to be clear about that. But with groups and events, you can get out of it. It's a workaround. Mm. And theoretically, you could be sending DMs 24 hours a day. There's no limit. So sometimes I'm doing 2,500 DMs a day on my account. I just have team members doing that all day. That's how I rank the top of the charts on Apple because my team is just getting subscribers all day in the DMs, right? So um, with groups... You find a relevant group. So you use your keywords in the search. You can actually search groups. You sign up for the group and then you're able to, again, DM the group. So you want to think of a a message that you can just copy and paste and you do that really quickly. I call it the fast screen because you basically get a list of all your leads and you can even filter them by location. You can filter them further and -hmm. then you can just start messaging people. So that's really how you do it at scale. Mm. Um, if you want to get more targeted, it's going to take more time. So anybody who likes and comments on your posts, it's going to be more clicks, you know, but if you want less clicks volume, you go for events and groups.
0: Mm, I love this. And I feel like one question we're going to get from someone listening is like, do I need to upgrade my account to a certain type? Um, a lot of people are on the free version of LinkedIn. Is there one version of LinkedIn that you lean on more than any other?
1: I don't use any paid services for LinkedIn. Uh, in my masterclass, you don't need to pay for anything. Uh, everything that we do is just you just hack it in the platform. In fact, I think that like in mails are basically seen as like spammy messages that you don't want. So people ignore them. You'll have a much better time just leveraging the platform organically on your personal profile. So this is key. A lot of people are like, do I focus on my company profile? Do I com- focus on my personal profile? It's your personal profile because you can only DM on your personal profile. And like I mentioned, like that's important for going viral and for getting leads and conversions. Mm-hmm. What about people who have followers? Like I see that you have a lot of followers on LinkedIn. Is there a way to
0: leverage like in one swoop you reach out to all of your followers? Mm-hmm.
1: Good, good question. So there are little hacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way that you can so You can only DM 30,000 people who are your first connections. So, for somebody like me, I have 30,000 first connections and then I have about 200,000 followers, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly weeding my 30,000 connections. I'm removing people who may not buy from me or want my stuff, and I'm adding people who do like it. So, if you don't listen to my podcast, if you don't want to buy my masterclass, if you don't want to go to my webinars for my sponsors, I'm going to have to remove you because I need to actually message 30,000 people who are relevant to my business at all times. So for me and my clients, I'm constantly doing this weeding, moving people out, bringing people in, right? And if you want to reach out to all your followers, there's actually no way to DM them because they are second and third connections. But you, there are some hacks. So one of the things that you can do is update your job title and profile. And you can actually do this uh, even if you haven't changed jobs. So for example, every time I launch a new part of my business, so I have like my main Yap Media CEO and founder, then you can add jobs underneath it. If I launched my Yap Academy, which was like my masterclass education arm of my business, I put that as a new job under Yap Media. Mm. What that does, it allows me to create an announcement. This announcement post is prioritized by LinkedIn. Mm. You can create this post and I'll be like, I just launched Yap Media. I'm so excited. Blah, blah, blah. I put this post out. And what LinkedIn does is actually email every single person who follows you and tells them to congratulate you in the DMs and on your post. Wow. So that creates massive traction. Then I have all these thousands of DMS going in. And what do I do? I, I reply to those DMS. Thank you so much for congratulating me on my Academy. If you want to learn more about the masterclass, I have a free webinar coming up here, right? So when I launched my network, I did the same thing. 200,000 people get the message. Everyone's congratulating me in the DMS and I'm replying back to the DMS and getting people to click and take action when it's, Mm. um, so that's an example. Another example is like when it's your, your, I think your birthday or your work anniversary, LinkedIn does this automatically. So you always want to think about how you're going to retarget all the people who are saying happy birthday or congratulations. So from a birthday, I'm like, all I want is for you to review my podcast. So if you look at my reviews, it's like on my birthday, I have like a thousand reviews like happen because I tell everyone, all I want for my birthday is a review on my podcast, right? So it's like, you always want to think about how are going to leverage whenever like LinkedIn kind of blasts out to your community. Mm,
0: I love these little things and you have so much fire for it. I feel like some people are listening and obviously like you kind of took them out of the overwhelm by being like, hey, this is an easier way to do DMs. Um, It sounds like another thing that might come up for people as they're listening to you is like, okay, I'm a new business owner. I've got this side hustle. What can I offer? Like Hala has her free masterclass. Like how do I, cause it sounds like you're drawing people closer to you as a business owner. Cause it's like, what's the point of a DM if it doesn't do anything? Like the goal is not just to engage, but to bring them closer. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are some like, and I also noticed how you said like, oh, here's my AI AI guide. You know, it's like that might not bring them closer unless I guess they opt in and give you their email or something Mm -hmm. like that. But um, how do people start to think about those free offers and be sustainable? Because, you know, for me, I look at your energy, like I was telling you, and I admire it so much. Part of it is like I have Lyme disease. And so I have to like randomly sleep a day because my body just gets me. But most of the time I'm pretty good. Um, but I think a lot of people, they're like, Whoa, I don't, that's a lot going on. Like, how how do I be intentional about what I create so that I can keep using it over and over and over again? Cause if there's anything I've learned in business, it's the power of one powerful thing yeah. versus many new things, right? Like my one TED Talk has 9 million people. You know what I mean? Like how do we do one and leverage? So any – such a great question. There? Yeah. So
1: one of the things you want to think about is like let's say you're a coach. Mm-hmm. You have to be creating materials either for your own business – for your clients, and you want to think about what can I transform into something that would be useful for all the people who I'm trying to solve problems for? And how can I put this as a gated asset where people have to put their name and email and information to actually download this resource that is highly valuable to them? So you want to think of what is the best content that you can give away for free? So whenever I am giving something away for free, it is 99 point, like it is hundred percent something else that I've already made. It's not new. So like if I'm putting together a webinar, it's actually taking slides from my course. And I'm just doing a subset of my course for the live webinar. And when you create a zoom webinar, people are giving you their email and their name. So you grow your email list. So the webinar strategy is really, really smart. I've got a lot of content on my podcast on how to create like a good webinar. Uh, It works really well. So it's like you can just create a slide deck leveraging content that hopefully you already have if you have a course or if you're a coach or something like this and give it away for free. You always want to give away your best content for free, but not too much where people feel like they don't need the full course. Right. So you want to tease it. Uh, I made that mistake where I had too long of a webinar one time. It was like three hours long. And then everyone's like, this was great. I don't need anything else. Right. So you want to make sure you tease it out. Now, the other thing is, like, any sort of resources, calculators, guides, white papers, quizzes, you can get creative. So you either make it not new if you have nothing, but hopefully you have something that you can repurpose, right? So you don't want to create anything new. You want to give away the things that your clients find the most useful. And for me, like, I'll give you examples from my masterclass. We have social calendars for our clients. So we, we just made a blank one and we give it away as a resource. We have hashtag guides that I use to train my team. We just branded it and made it a resource, right? So it's like all these like different bonuses are really just things that I already had been using for my team, like all these different SOPs and whatever. And then we just create them as a free bonus or as a gated asset. So it's just reusing whatever you already create for your um, offer. Right. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's helpful. But the yeah. main thing is, to your point, you want to bring people off platform. So gated asset where they have to plug in their name and email to download something on your website. These things can be created really easily with your CRM platform, your email platform. If you have Shopify, Constant Contact, like these things take a few minutes to create. It's not complicated yeah. at all. I love what you're saying. It
0: reminds me of a video I watched from Gary Vee a bajillion years ago about like creating opportunities. He was like showing the difference between business owners who just kind of like sit there and wait for the phone to ring versus get on the phone and like create some opportunities. I know a lot of people might lose hope because they might think to themselves like, wow, this is like exhausting. And, you know, I know a lot of um, new coaches when they come to me to help coach them, they're like, I've, I'm so, t- you know, they want to do coaching groups. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do when you're starting your practice. If you don't know how to get one client, why are you putting yourself in a position where now you need to go get 10? Yeah. All you're going to be doing is trying to fill your retreat. By the time the retreat comes, you're going to keel over. Mm-hmm. So like, I think a lot of people have a lot of questions around like burnout and keeping their energy up. Um, What would you say, like, I know you're really good at building teams. Some people, you know, maybe they have a corporate job and they're thinking like, okay, I have this much income. I could probably devote like $600 a month to hiring someone to help me with these DMs. Or um, how do you recommend people keep themselves from burnout? What is like one of the most high ROI hacks with this entire strategy that we can offer people?
1: So something that I'd say first is, like, really make sure, like, I could teach you all the hacks in the book to go viral, grow your following, grow engagement, find your target audience. But if you don't have an offer that converts, everything's going to fall flat. So one of the things that I'd recommend is, like, go get $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi and read it front to back and make sure that you have a good offer that you've thought through. Number Mm -hmm. one. You know what I mean? It's really important. The other thing to remember is that your audience is your choice. One of the biggest mistakes that I find is that people are choosing audiences that are like finding a needle in a haystack. And they are trying to create solutions to problems that don't exist. That is a huge problem that I see. And then they're like, why isn't my business working? It's because... You did it backwards. You need to solve problems that people have, not try to create problems for people that you want to solve. Right. So it's yeah. like you need to actually have a, a, an audience that is starving for your product or service. It's an unmet need and it's a large audience that can be found in mass. They're following the same people, they work at the same companies, they have the same titles, they're searchable. You can find them. So it's actually working backwards. Who are you targeting? What are the problems you you are solving? What is your offer? How can you make your offer so good that people can't resist but saying yes? It is Mm. so valuable. How can you charge $1,000 for a $10,000 service and only pay $500 to Mm. uh, execute it all, right? Mm. You really got to think that through because Mm -hmm. then if you have an offer that sells – All this other stuff is like clockwork. You can get the interaction and engagement. You need to understand the algorithm. You need to understand how to copyright. You need to understand how to reach out to people. Then you get a sale. You get another sale. You build your confidence. But if your offer falls flat, then it's like you're never going to get the confidence. And you're never going to be able to scale and hire help and all this stuff because you're never going to get sales. And you're going to feel like you're drowning. Yeah. So it's always like, who's your audience? What problem are you solving? How do you have an offer that people can't resist? Then you hit the ground running with all your social strategy.
0: I love this, and I also want to reiterate: like it, it, your offer depends on your audience, right? Like my TEDx writing is a high-end offer, and and the booking, and I mean a lot of my profit goes to the booker because that's where the rubber hits the road. Like I'm not just writing a speech; I'm getting it booked. Um, for a while when I first launched the offer, it was like business owners like you or I were like, wow, that's expensive. And then the billionaires were like, oh my God, this is so cheap. And this is so, so it was like a matter of perspective. So I also think getting really clear on like, who is that ideal customer? Who is the ideal person for this? And how can you put yourself in a position not to be selling, but instead to just be like notifying people who already want it?
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and, and I think that one thing with coaches that I've found and just offers in general is being creative with your offers. So like, for example, when I was leading mostly with career coaching, with which now with the TED offer, I've been up to my eyeballs in TED talks in the best way, but I brought in a life coach because I could do life coaching, but I'm really good at being tactical with career coaching. I'm really good at helping people figure out like, what is the actual job title that they should be doing next? And so I could use my time on mindset sessions, but I figured to myself as a business owner, why not bring someone in that can do that? Um, I've seen spiritual coaches build into their offer like an astrology session with this person and a this thing with this person. So it's, it's also really being mindful as a business owner. There's many ways to create an offer. Mm. It doesn't all have to come from you. You can be a curator. You can bring different forces together. Um, to curate. So I don't know. I just feel like you're so full of information, but you're getting my brain moving.
1: No, what you're saying is so right. It's also about starting with one thing, doing it really well, and then layering on more services to the same client. So like if you have a laundromat, right? You start off with the laundromat. It does well. You add in a folding service that does well. You add in some vending machines, that does well. Maybe you add in a delivery service, that does well. So it's like you just keep layering and layering, but it's really key not to start with everything, right? Start with the one thing that you think is gonna make you the most money and yeah. be the easiest to sell. And then you layer on and try to upsell the lifetime value of all your clients. So it's, it's just, I feel like a lot of people, I think the biggest mistakes are they put too much on their plate, they're targeting an audience that's really hard to find. They're targeting an audience that can't afford anything. Right. Like the resume writer who wants to help people get a job. People who have a job don't have money. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like you need to think about these things. Like, do these people even have money to do what you want them to do? Right. Yeah. And it's your the audience is your choice. So why not go after billionaires and millionaires? Um right. they're the easiest clients. Yeah. I love
0: this so much. And I feel like you are such a content factory of wisdom. Like what have I not asked you of anything about LinkedIn that we don't want to leave everyone without knowing that thing today?
1: Why don't I talk to you about actual like content and engagement hacks and yeah. what's working? Cause every platform is different. LinkedIn has an algorithm that is totally hackable. So happy to kind of give you guys a walkthrough of that. Yeah. So, um, First off, in terms of the features, uh, LinkedIn is very different from other platforms. So one thing to note is that it is not a video-first platform, really. it's It doesn't really compete with TikTok or Instagram Reels. And so what works really well on LinkedIn is pictures, so graphics, photographs, lifestyle images. So you sitting on a computer, you on a couch, you at your desk, you on the phone, you writing in a notebook, human pictures, preferably your face, doing something in real life with a story, preferably something motivational or educational. So those are gonna do really well on LinkedIn. So if you go on my feed, it's pretty much 90% that a story, my face in a lifestyle. Like I invest in photo shoots all the time because that's what does well on LinkedIn. Mm. Um now the other kind of features that work well LinkedIn Live. So Leveraging live stream on LinkedIn is the best way to leverage video, and that is the best way to make sales. So if you uh, have some sort of expertise, you hop on, you answer questions from your audience. Anybody who engages on that live stream, you want to retarget in the DMs and drive them further down the funnel. It's like having a live webinar. You can leverage that on LinkedIn. It's a really smart way to get clients. So, mm-hmm. LinkedIn live stream is the best way to leverage video. Now, on any other on any social media platform, human behavior always wins. So, no matter what the algorithm says, no matter if LinkedIn is not video first, If you post something up that has gone viral on Instagram or TikTok, it will likely go viral on LinkedIn. So going on Instagram, going on TikTok, seeing what the motivational short videos under 30 seconds that go viral on that platform and posting it on LinkedIn with a meaningful caption with keywords, it will likely go viral on LinkedIn as well, because at the end of the day, sharing is the most viral action on LinkedIn and LinkedIn can't control human behavior, even if they're trying to figure out the algorithm. That's actually what my book is going to be about in the future is why human behavior always wins. Cause like platforms like LinkedIn actually don't want people to go viral, but if you understand human behavior, you'll always go viral. Right. Um, so those are some of the things. The other thing to note is that polls were really not hot. Polls are hot again. They're really, really easy to do. So if you're trying to figure out the time to post every day, do two polls a week and that, that, that will take up two, it takes two seconds to put up a poll and they're popular again. On LinkedIn. The other thing to note is that never put your link in the captions. So, one of the goals of all social media sites is to keep users on the platform for as long as possible. If you put a link to your website or some other third party to YouTube or to Instagram, LinkedIn is going to deprioritize that post because they want people to stay on LinkedIn. So if you have a link, you're going to want to put it in the comments, or you're going to want to retarget people who engage and put the link in the DMs better yet. So um, those are just a few hacks. I can talk all day about this. Oh, my <laughs> God. I, I love hacks. this. Okay. Remind everyone where they can find
0: you, wh- um, what the code is for the LinkedIn. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's my name, Ashley. You know, just all the details on the LinkedIn yes. Masterclass. And we will post that in the show notes too.
1: Okay, awesome. So um, you guys can find me at Young and Profiting Um, is my podcast. So I interview the brightest minds in the world. I've interviewed people like Alex Ramosi, Damon John, Seth Godin, you name it. It's all about entrepreneurship, sales, negotiations. So I'd love for you guys to check out Young and Profiting podcast. Um, If you're interested in the masterclass, you can use code Ashley for 30% off and go to yapmedia.io slash course. We've got uh, sessions going on every other month. So you guys can sign up for the upcoming session. So again, that's yapmedia.io slash course, and you could use code Ashley for 30% off. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala and LinkedIn. You just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. I love this so much. Thank you, Hala, for being here. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was such
0: a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners